Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. to those who are watching and listening online and to everyone gathered here in this place. I'm so glad that we can be together in this way today. If you would please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. We will continue our series of messages from the book of Acts. And today I want to talk about the fractal of salvation. When I was in college, I read a book about mind mapping that introduced me to the mesmerizing beauty of fractals. The term fractal was coined in 1975 by a French mathematician who defined or described a fractal this way. He said a fractal is a rough or fragmented geographic shape that can be split into parts each of which is at least approximately a reduced size copy of the whole. Well, doesn't that sound beautiful? Fractals exhibit self-similarity, which is a way to say they often appear to be never-ending patterns, and they are much more fun to look at than they are to talk about. So here's an example of a fractal. This is a computer-generated fractal based upon a mathematic formula, and we can animate it to show the principle of self-similarity. No matter how deep we go, how far we look, how many levels we observe, It's the same pattern built into this overall shape again and again. It's turtles all the way down. And now you're getting very sleepy. (laughs) We don't need a computer to show us what a fractal looks like because we are surrounded by fractals. Fractals are everywhere in nature. We see them all the time, whether it's a peacock or a river system or a salt flat or the top of mountains from above or a snowflake, the principle of self-similarity, nautilus, a tree. I don't know what that is. A fern, another fern a leaf, lightning, 
And this is Romanesco broccoli. Who knew broccoli could be beautiful? This is the best broccoli has ever looked, and it's a fractal. Now, as with all fractals, whenever we look at one, we always get more than we bargain for. Because when we see a fractal, there's always more going on within it than initially appears. Whether we're looking at the smallest part of the fractal, what we're seeing is a representation of the whole. Or when we step back and see the whole fractal, what we're looking at is not just one single thing. We're looking instead at many small things that form the whole. And in the same way, today I'm going to make the case that the gospel is a kind of fractal. And I want to do this by showing you a story at the beginning of Acts chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us, look at us. And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And he does. So Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what, God, at what had happened to him. For some of us who read the story, depending on our upbringing, our culture, our heritage, maybe our education, maybe our natural born skepticism, when we read this story and others like it, we can't help but stumble over the miracle. This is one of the challenges for modern readers of the book of Acts because there are a lot of miracles in the book of Acts. In chapter 2, verse 43, Luke tells us that the people in Jerusalem are in awe over the many miracles the apostles are performing. And while today I don't have time to get into a full-blown theology of miracles in Acts, I can make one observation. Perhaps you've already picked up on it. What I have been calling miracles, Luke typically calls signs or signs and wonders or wonders and signs. And that is a distinction worth noting. What does it mean to call a miracle a sign? Well, what do signs typically do? Signs point to something else. A sign points to something else. 
Here's a sign from West Texas. <laughs> when you only have one tree, you tend to make a big deal of it. On a hot day, you would not go lo looking for shade by sitting under the sign. But you would let it point you to a place where you could go and find some shade. Because a sign points to something else. And there are two extremes we can go to when we read stories in the Bibles, the Bible that contain miraculous signs. The first extreme is to simply dismiss those stories as ridiculous and impossible because they do not fit into our neat, predefined, modern scientific categories. There's no way that could have happened because I've never seen it happen. I've been told it can't happen. It defies the laws and the rules of science. That's ridiculous. That's one extreme. Now, just because you've never observed something happening doesn't mean it can't happen. But that's one extreme. Another extreme, though, is to read the story and make the miraculous sign the point of the story. Which is not what signs are for. Signs point to something else. And in Acts 3, Luke makes sure we don't miss the point of the story by showing us how in the story, Peter is quick to point the crowd who observes the man walking and jumping and praising God in the temple courts. He's quick to point the crowd to Jesus. The miraculous sign is not the point of the story. The miraculous sign, Peter says, is pointing straight to Jesus. And so in verse 12, he moves quickly from this lame man was healed to the identity of Jesus as the Messiah. For whose death he reminds the crowd they are responsible. Saying in verse 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him up from the dead. Notice that phrase, raised him up, is similar to what Peter did for the lame beggar when he healed him. And then in verse 16, he tells the crowd that it is the name of Jesus and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed this man completely healed, made him whole. It's the name of Jesus that has made this possible. And then in verse 19, he calls the crowd to repent of their ignorance about Jesus and start over with God so that times of refreshing can come from the Lord in heaven. And then he reminds them, or maybe tells them for the first time, they haven't considered it, he tells them that the exalted Jesus is in heaven now and he's waiting there until the time comes for him to return and restore everything. Here he taps into Israel's traditional hope spoken of in the prophets. The hope that someday God is going to make all things new. That God is going to renew Refresh and restore all of creation. Peter begins his sermon by talking about a man who was healed, completely healed. 
And then in just a few verses later, now he's talking about how God is going to make all things new. Are you beginning to see the fractal? This sermon gets Peter in trouble. So much trouble that he has to appear before the religious leaders in chapter 4. And this is how he explains or defends himself. It says in verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter leaps from this man was healed, it was an act of kindness that healed this man too, and salvation is found only in Jesus. Which brings me back to the beginning of the story. And how this illustrates the fractal nature of the gospel. Because as we've worked through Peter's sermon, I've noted three key phrases. The man was completely healed. Guilty Israel needs times of refreshing to come from the Lord in heaven. And groaning creation is waiting for God to restore everything. These phrases are not identical, but there is some self-similarity. They are related. They are connected. They're all pointing in the same direction. They're all part of a fractal. And this is what reminds me of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. But more than that, if any person is in Christ, it's a sign pointing that the new creation has come or the new creation has begun. One person's salvation, individual salvation, is part of a much larger fractal of salvation. It's all a smaller part of the larger whole. So what Jesus did for this lame beggar, completely healing him, is what Jesus is doing for Israel. sending times of refreshing. And what Jesus does for Israel is what Jesus is going to do for all of creation. Restore everything. And what Jesus is doing for all of creation is what Jesus is doing in you. And what Jesus is doing in you in your heart, in your life, is what Jesus is doing in this church. And what Jesus is doing in this church, Jesus is doing in this neighborhood.
And what Jesus is doing in this neighborhood, Jesus is doing in this city. And what Jesus is doing in this city, Jesus is doing in this nation. And what Jesus is doing in this nation, Jesus is doing in the world. And what Jesus is doing in the world, Jesus is going to do for the whole universe, for all of creation. And what Jesus is going to do for all of creation, he did for this lame beggar when he completely healed him and raised him up so he could walk, which is exactly what God did for Jesus after he was crucified, when he raised him up so he could walk out of the tomb. Do you see the fractal? So no matter where we start in the story, no matter what scene we look at, each smaller piece of the story is pointing and connected to the larger fractal, the story, the fractal of salvation that begins and ends with Jesus, who is doing his good work in every small part of it. It's not turtles all the way down. It's salvation all the way down. It's gospel all the way down, all the way up. The lame beggar, when he saw Peter and John, he was hoping that they would give him some silver and gold that he could use. Instead, Jesus, through Peter, changed him into the kind of person that God could then use to preach the gospel. He became a living, breathing, walking sign pointing to Jesus. I guess you could say he got more than he bargained for. And when we come to a gathering like this, to a place like this, we come hoping to get something we can use, don't we? Something we can learn, something we can experience, a connection we can make, something useful something helpful to manage our life, to make it through the day, to to give us some wisdom. We come to get something we can use, but what happens here is what we hear shapes us into the kind of people God can use to put the gospel on display. I guess we too end up with more than we bargained for. Because when the gospel goes to work in us, we become a small part of the larger fractal. And everything we do in the name of Christ, in every act of kindness we do in the name of Christ, is part of the larger thing God has promised to do for all of creation. So when we feed the hungry in the name of Jesus or when we give a cup of cold water to those in need in the name of Jesus or when we come to the aid of those whose lives are devastated by a hurricane in the name of Jesus when we resolve our conflicts and reconcile with our adversaries in the name of Jesus when we love and serve our neighbors who are not like us and may not like us in the name of Jesus, when we forgive those who have wronged us in the name of Jesus, 
when we baptize a repentant sinner in the name of Jesus, and when we gather around this table and break the bread and drink the cup in the name of Jesus, we are putting the fractal of salvation on display for all to see. Even the smallest act of kindness in the name of Jesus is representing the larger whole. And as it is with fractal, those with eyes to see always end up with more than they bargained for. And may it be so for us. And may it be so for those who see our individual lives, but also our life together as a church, and recognize them to be smaller parts of a much larger fractal, the fractal of salvation. Let's stand and close by reading our benediction from Ephesians 3. Read out loud with me. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus. Because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.